All right, just one question. Mike, you've got a lot of AKAs. I saw in the email. How should I intro you? <laughs> uh, 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 you introduced me as uh, Michael Kopage. That's my name. Oh, you know? Imagine, I'm there overthinking it, and I could have just gone with that. Okay, cool. Okay. Uh. Michael Kopage, Prosper Jones, yeah. Pro One, Big yeah. Daddy Catfish Slim. Imagine He's got a million like... names on the street, man. This dude is... Out here, outside, outside. Yeah, yeah, man. And different, uh, different folks, yeah. different folks know me as a di- different names, you know. Right. Uh, that's a man to be fair, right life. there. That's a man to be fair. <laughs> right. It's <laughs> people I know. It's people I know for twenty years who don't know my my government name, you know. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> if they don't know by now, they never should. It makes no sense for them to know anyways. What are they going to do with that info? All right, right, right. Tell it to the police. That's what they're going to do with it. Yeah, tell it to the police. Welcome to another episode of Gallery Radio. Today, our guest, visual artist, musical artist, and activist, we've got Michael Kopage in the yeah. virtual building. Michael, how are you doing today? I'm good, I'm good. Thank you. Thank you. Great to have you on. Thanks for taking the time out to sit down, chop it up with us, and talk about all the different things you got going on. How did you get involved in music? Um, wow. I grew up on the south side of Chicago, and I guess I could say I grew up on the side of the city where you couldn't be alone, you couldn't be a neutron, you had to choose a group, and most people my age, most boys really chose gangs, and you know, that was definitely an option, but I didn't want to go that route because I had the foresight to see and to know where it, where it all ended. So somehow through my commercial art class, I found, you know, a hip hop crew. You know, I always loved hip hop, I always listened to hip hop, but I didn't know anybody who was writing graffiti or who was freestyling or breakdancing or any of that stuff. Uh, when I started meeting people who did, I was just drawn to it and just posseed up that way and haven't been alone since, man. I would say that was the impetus for all the music uh, and even the, the visual art that was to come. Was it a hard decision to leave music behind and fully go into visual art? No, because I didn't, I haven't left music behind. I recorded a, a EP with a friend of mine from New Jersey, Big Mr. Distort, one of the dopest graffiti kids I ever met. And he and I have a long history of uh, making music together. And we decided that it might be a good idea to record an EP. And so I reached out to some of my uh, contacts overseas, one of the tour DJs and producers in Germany, DJ Gorsch, and we put together an EP called Pasta. And I also actually just started recording an EP with a, a guy I knew as a teenager in Chicago that I reconnected with. And it's basically freestyle studio sessions that are boiled down to like the richest parts. And it's just like, you know, we're taking the vibe and distilling it into uh, one or two tracks from an entire session. Uh, his name's P. Dollar Jills. He's one of the dopest writers. Uh, and he and I used to battle a lot back in the day, but we, you know, we became really good friends and we spent a lot of time 
out in the scene in Chicago battle rapping and stuff like that. So, so I'm actively making music. I freestyle every single day. I feel like that's the cure to Alzheimer's and maybe Huntington's and some of these other kind of diseases that affect your gray matter. So uh, I actively freestyle on a daily basis to the point where you know, I make other people uncomfortable around me because they don't know what the hell I'm doing. You know what I mean? Like, I'll just be somewhere and I just tell them I got hip hop Tourette's, you know what I mean? And they're like, oh, that's a thing? And I'm like, yeah, that's a thing. You know, I got hip hop Tourette's. And they're like, okay. All of the art that you've been doing, the visual art, how does that influence or change your approach to music as opposed to what you were doing back when you first started freestyling and recording music? That's an awesome question because I'm talking about my life. Instead of talking about cars and chains and money and gold and all the stuff that, you know, could very well be part of like what a rapper's life might look like, I'm just talking about what my life looks like. I'm a much more articulate person than I was when I was 15, 16, 17. But what's dope about what I did back then Kron, we did a song called From Graph to Art. I think I was 17 or 18. Everything that I wrote in that song and said that I hoped would happen is happening right now in my life. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Every line. There's not a single line in that song that has not come to pass in my career thus far. Like, I wanted it back then. And I said it, I spoke it out loud, I recorded it so I could hear it at different points in my life so it could remind me what, what the goal was all, what always was, right? The goal was never music. The music was, a, was an escape yeah. from my neighborhood, from my situation, from the shit that was waiting for me. And I just happened to, to be good enough at it where I had a crew of people who would fuck with me for real. But the goal was always this. I didn't know yeah. what it would look like. I didn't know how it would shape up. And here we are 20 years later. 20 years later. Yep. And everything that I'm talking about was manifested way back in that song. Exactly. Anacron. Prosper Jones. Eli. In the Gallery Network. Living legend. Rocking the freeway, crossing three lanes. With a can in my hand, the need came to seek fame. Deep game, homie. Krylon a red D spray. We came with sweet names long before eBay ever existed. Huh? The ever persistent beat boy on a mission. After clever enlisted, and a rock mono. These smart bombs make fumes along with colors that consume walls and art. Nom, they blooms. DTDIS was mobbing hella fresh. Ink mob, JFAN, KWS. They seem to be the best outlet for me to express. I never thought these same cats would leave comic book impressed. It all started in commercial art with cream. Hit me to the Nacrobats and then I joined the speech team. Shortly after that, I'm bombing platforms with theme. Just to let off steam. Click with SAK and then with AKC. Everywhere you go, I was sure to be up all city. I'm a graph kid. Bombing with the cannon, all eight of my hands like a rack mitt. The face and property, cause no one's stopping me. Got with DS and Bill Smurfs got me geeked. Deep scratching bus windows on the busy ass street. Only had to ride one bus, but I rode three. Pro was way too slick for transit cops to catch me. We cloak walls in flat black and gray. Spraying aerosol from caps back, back in, in the, the day. day. Running the street in hats, packs, and days. Then we were tenants, never having to pay. For a place to stay and keep our stuff. Living on your own can be a little bit rough. So we dropped the bomb and grew up. 
change graph to art, but we still got love. From graph to calligraph, I click cut a path for my future. The artistic critic when it comes to museum exhibits and making occasional gallery visits. Still a bachelor with a bachelor and sculpture. No wife, no pets or kids to end culture. Debating between traveling or getting a master's. Unsure if it'll be prosperous or disaster. The older I get, time seems to fly by faster. I gotta make up my mind like I make up my bed. Get my train on track so I can move ahead. Plan A. I weigh out my options. Plan B. Put my art up for adoption. Plan C. Wait and see what's poppin'. Hopefully a gallery would be glad to be working with me. Awaiting the return of my SASE. Containing that news of the art school residency. I've been counting on. It's only two days late. I ain't been counting long. If all else fails, I'll propose a commission. Somebody gotta pay back those loans for tuition. 35 G's in the hole in a submission position. A street artist to a fine artist seemed like a smooth transition. With that much money invested, I never consider quitting. I don't need to be rich. I don't wanna be poor. Giving thanks to hip hop for opening the door to a world of art for me to conquer and explore. To a world of art for me to conquer and explore. Cloak walls are flat, black and gray. Spraying aerosol from cats back, back in, in the, the day. day. Running the street in hats, packs, and days. Then we were tenants never having to pay. For a place to stay and keep our stuff. Living on your own can be a little bit rough. So we dropped the bomb and we grew up. Change, grab the art, but we still got love. Whoever really knew this little busy dizzy dude would be making critics ooh at the age of 22. Splashing shapes of opaque tones onto canvas and wood panels. Turn to a legit and good metal. Dropping feelings style images. No outlines. Past days when I was being a rebel all about crime. When I had to make my own way and live off pay earned. I never once assumed there'd come a day when what I'd burn to a wall and aerosol could make me cash. Splashing speckle walls with primers that's finer than Stacy Dash and smooth like a baby's ass. Then break out the milk crates. 20 colors plus. All, all at, at my disposal. disposal. Eight paintings completed, ready for display On a sunny, sunny afternoon, afternoon, summer day at Cafe La Piazza Broadway and Sheridan, buried in By me and the homie Gabriel, whose artwork buried in style and thin This shit sold for hella much An old school FBI head that used to bust And now we dating the model, career moving full throttle ahead When the critics see my work, they quickly gobbled it up They got me grinning like a little ass kid Now somebody's writing a check for a painting that I did 800 American dollars, no sense I'm still buying paint, but ain't hit a wall since I realized there's better things to accomplish in this life But you can't support yourself by going bombing every night So I had to start thinking half as smart as Gabriel And transform my graft to art Right? Transform the graft to art Yeah Transform the graft So now looking towards your activism now, you're into a lot of noble causes, righteous causes, causes that I definitely support, but they're also very heavy, intense, but necessary causes to champion. Yeah. Does something trigger you to go into that field? I spent my entire life, you know, running away from these topics. I think that I spent a life where I wanted to blend in, you know, I didn't want to be targeted. I didn't really want to stand out. You know, the work that I was making was about things that I felt passionate about, you know, the environment, mental health, you know, these sorts of things. But I never wanted to be a, a black artist, right, in quotations. Like, I didn't want to be put in a, a box with other black artists. I just wanted to be an artist. And I thought that to avoid that, I needed to, you know, make these kinds of 
things. But then around around 2018, I was traveling and I was abroad and I had a conversation that really triggered this new way of thinking about how I'm approaching making the images. And it was like painting white people as monkeys. And it wasn't just to do it, just to flip it upside down on his head, but it was to do it because in Asia, they call people monkeys too, and monkeys are the disruptors of harmony. And, and when I think about all of the indigenous people on the planet whose harmony was disrupted, it came at the hands of you know Europeans primarily, uh, Portuguese, Spanish, French, Dutch, English. And even today with gentrification, redlining, gaslighting, all of the, that disruption continues to happen. It's like, a, it's like a cultural norm for white people. They just can't help themselves. And so I use painting for the monkeys specifically because they have the most, the most intimate relationship with paintings of any group on the planet. And when they see themselves, they see themselves as affluent and as angels and Jesus and kings and royalty. And painting tells them about their station in life. You know, whether they even realize it or not, when they walk into museums, their esteem is raised and they feel better about who they are when they come out. So I use the psychology of how they interact with paintings using like a dialectical, behavioral, therapeutic model to kind of reshape the narrative about who they might be based on you know the lens that I look through and I create these counter narratives that really are compelling and that and that really work when they interface with a white audience specifically you know that's not the only thing that I do with my practice but I'm a conceptual artist and you know the main concept is the intentional destabilization of black people and the demonization of black men you know this all started with this series of paintings that body of work is called American Plus, you know, given the, the natural obstacles. So let's say nutrition is the first barrier we run into as black people because 25 million people grow up in food deserts in the United States and 95% of those people are black and brown. So nutrition is the first barrier. Education is second because when you go to school on a high sugar, high calorie, low nutrition diet, you crash and the quality of your education suffers. Plus the quality of your education is funded by the quality and the value of the real estate in that neighborhood so housing becomes a third barrier then we're talking about legal challenges and we're talking about structural systemic you know it goes on and on and on and for us to land on equal footing with our counterparts from other races that's when we achieve american american plus not african minus american because that implies that our american is somehow less and so i've just taken this stance I would say black people understand how the rules work and the laws work against us better than anyone in the country except for immigrants, you know. I think immigrants also understand how the laws and the rules work. You know, we don't have to take the country over through violence. We can take it over through excellence because we understand how the laws work against us and therefore better understand how they work for us. And so my practice is about communicating a larger narrative authentic experience and observation through uh, little facets that I kind of encapsulate in each piece that I'm painting or uh, photographing or videoing or sculpting or whatever. With your work being published, your profile's increasing on the internet. People have got a 
imagery that you're putting out there. And I'd imagine that comes with lots of public support and also public hate. How is it dealing with hate or spreading your message? If, if there is hate, which I'm sure there is, I don't see it. And they keep it to themselves. Part, that's partially due to the moment of time that we live in, you know. I, I was making this work before this moment, right? Before the death of George Floyd when, you know, everyone kind of just said enough's enough and came outside. And I was making this work three years before that. I had already had enough then. And so I get a really warm reception, even in predominantly white spaces. I'm not sure if they speak after I leave about their disdain or, and, and I don't care, frankly, right? In fact, because I think that there's a deliberate attempt to destabilize black people, I created a narrative that was completely false. I manipulated a legitimate newspaper publication and they published a story about me receiving hate mail so that I could drum up some empathy for the work that I was doing. And so basically, I think that they hire financially naive young people, give them more money than they've ever seen to basically be weapons of mass destruction in the black community and perpetuate negative stereotypes and all of these things. But I also think that how they typecast us, how they depict us, we're always connected to guns and violence and gangs and drugs and all of these things, right? The media is probably the biggest culprit for the demonization of black people, specifically black men. You know, I said, okay, well, if people with money, privilege, and power are intentionally and deliberately creating these narratives about who we are, and we don't get to tell our own stories, how can I change that? And I, and I came to the realization that I might not be able to change it, and it kind of sounded like conspiracy theories. So I decided that in order to prove that this was something that was possible, I needed to do it myself. So I created a story about receiving hate mail, and a reporter came to my house and interviewed me for two hours for, for the largest publication here in town. 300,000 people read this paper, right? All she cared about was the drama associated to receiving hate mail. She didn't care about my work. She didn't care about me. It was all about the drama. And when the article came out, the article came out January 2019, there was an ad for ADT Home Security underneath the article that's you know what i mean like i couldn't make this up bro like i couldn't oh, wow. i couldn't make this up and so and so and so what happened was my work was up at, at a time at uh, 21c and it, it read as if i was getting hate mail from their patrons so the pr team there they were upset they made the paper do a correction and they republished the article about a week later on their um, digital platform. And so this article came out twice. Now, if someone with no money, no power, and no privilege is, is able to mislead and deceive a legitimate news publication by using trigger words and, and using the attraction to drama to get this piece rushed to press, then imagine what someone with all three of those things is capable of, who has malicious intent, right? So, I mean, it's, it's beneficial for people to be afraid of us because that means that we can't benefit and capitalize on our own intellectual property. But someone who does not look like us, who serves as a filter, right, 
can make all the money in the world and it, it just it just bothers me man it, it still bothers me you know i don't feel like my issue with, with that has been resolved in any way but i needed to do that piece just as an affirmation for myself that i'm not crazy like this is real uh, i don't feel this way for no reason and so i've created the most hate mail i've ever gotten you know what i mean to answer your question that the a very long way you know white people i understand them culturally you know i think a lot of white people don't think they have culture but they do and culturally we being black people are very comfortable with confrontation you know if i have a problem with you or cron i can say yo yo what's up with that i can i can talk to you directly whether we agree or not we can say what we need to say we can get it out of the way and we can move on we can squash it and keep moving forward and that doesn't damage our friendships or our relationships or our professional relationships it's just a blip on the on the spectrum of time right but in white culture you know they don't do well with confrontation it's it's very kind of passive aggressive and you don't often know that there's an issue until weeks months years later so it's too late yeah yeah and it's too late to salvage it because now i can't trust you right it doesn't work so when i'm at these speaking engagements or when i'm doing my lectures or when i'm exhibiting my work i don't ever get that kind of feedback you know uh, no one has been bold enough to just be like yo i hate this and even if they did like I would appreciate it because we can have a conversation because I understand that this is provocative but you know we need to root this in a reality you know I've been called a monkey during the course of my life because of the color of my skin because we're told that monkeys are brown and black right but when I go to Asia all I see is white monkeys all I see is monkeys with blonde hair and white hair and pink faces and they aggressive and they they take what's yours for themselves you know that sound a lot like a lot of white people in my experience and in my understanding of history and so i center whiteness in stereotypically black scenarios and black trauma so that they can share in the equity of this experience because the stereotyping the demonization all of those things are things that they only experience when they're engaged with my work. You know, when they walk away from it, they can leave that behind. We don't get to do that. So I'm just I'm just setting up these visuals to help them get a better understanding of what this experience is is really like without, you know, trying to be divisive or pointing the finger. This is this is a cultural bridge I'm building if if we want to keep it all the way real. I think that it's necessary, man. I think there's a lot of really great, really talented artists out here. And those who are speaking to the black experience, I think a lot of them are looking in the past, either in substituting white subjects for black subjects or talking about the erasure of the contributions of black people and the history as we know it and kind of bringing them in the forefront. And then you have people who are doing things a little bit differently, but I haven't seen anyone who is working in this same kind of space. And so I just felt like it was, it had to be me. I had been carrying around these thoughts, feelings, and this toxic stuff for my entire life. And 
I didn't want to carry it anymore. I needed some help carrying it. So I create work and I build crates for it and other people carry it, you know? They carry it around from state to state. <laughs> and that's how it should be, man. And I'm a healthier person because of it. Mentally, emotionally, how I look at the world now, even how I look at these experiences when, I, when I'm experiencing them today is very different, you know? I don't want to punch people anymore, you know? I don't want to curse people out. I don't want to do any of that stuff. I kind of feel sorry for them. And I'm like, yo, I got this podcast called Black Box. Yo, I did a TED Talk, you know? I think that this would be perfect for you. Then that can help them, if they're open, really get a better understanding for how they are projecting. And, and I think it's I think it's great work, man. 2019, I had two at two shows, right? In 2021, I had 14 shows. That's a testimony to how impactful this work is to me. I'm chasing the right thread, right? And the moment just happens to support what I've been doing this entire time. And I couldn't be more thankful, man. Just doubling back to 2020. I know it's a wash, but still very notable events happened, including the tragic passing of George Floyd. Watching the media coverage of the, the court case of the police officer involved, we've seen the situation played out before, unfortunately, more times than not. The officer gets a slap on the wrist, some paid time leave, gets relocated until it all blows over, and the cycle kinds of repeats. So right. when when that officer was charged, I felt it was a small win, but a win nonetheless. How did that feel to you? Well, I'll say this, you're in a completely different country, but y'all started a wave, man. Like y'all oh, ripped yeah. down y'all ripped down the first statue, you know, and yeah. you do off a bridge, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, like <laughs> yeah. I was like I was like, yo, they yeah. wowing. And then yeah. once everybody saw that video, it was mm. a wrap. Y'all set it off. Y'all was like, yo, fuck this shit. We, you know, like, like if the difference is we did it to a statue. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And they did it to us, to like real people. In terms yeah. of that moment, I, I agree. I expected a lot less. And I always do. And it doesn't matter how many, how many wins we get, you know. I always expect the person to get off. Cal Rittenhouse just just got off. Boom. You know what I mean? Like mm. I don't I don't know how to justify that. And that, right? that was even crazier you know, to me because it wasn't even black people. It was people that represented something associated yeah, right, with black people. Right. But that so was that, enough to make their murder okay. Yeah. Just mm -hmm. the fact that they represented something that was yeah. you know vaguely well, so, black. So that's that but that that <laughs> tells you that tells you how America evaluates the life and causes of black people. I mean, from, from the beginning of our lives, we learn that black is bad. Every noun preference by the word black is negative. Black ice, black sheep, black cloud, black cat, black market, black magic, black heart. There's, there's, there's 30 or 40 words, you know? I mean, so I'm not surprised that that happened because 
we're enculturated to identify black as bad. And when we get to conversations about race, for anyone who categorizes themselves or identifies as black, it's implied that there's something inherently wrong. It's implied that there's something inherently dangerous. You know, there have been studies shown that people feel like the room is not safe as soon as a black person enters it. There's studies about this because of the narrative that's created just around the word black, just around how we learn about the color black before we even apply it to people. Cops getting off, cops getting away, and since my youth, that's been a norm, you know? And it wasn't until we got cameras on cell phones that they really started getting popped, you know? So I decided that I was gonna do a, a, a piece about the abuse of police power, right? I'm working on it now, it's called uh, The Twelve Commandments, right? And it's a, it's a play on the Ten Commandments, and it's about how man's law often conflicts with moral law. So 12 is slang for police in current rap culture, right? And it's a series of police commands. So hands behind your head, get on the ground, hands where I can see them, spread them, freeze, drop your weapon, all of these things, right? I'm gonna do a series of sculptures that encapsulate these uh, poses and uh, shot a video with uh, 13 black men last week as a companion piece even in compliance, it doesn't guarantee that you get to live through the experience, which conflicts with the Ten Commandments, right? The number one being thou shalt not kill. I think that we live in this country where everybody is claiming to be a Christian, a good, a good Jew or whatever, whatever. But then we still have so many people of color being killed and murdered. And so where, where are all these so-called good people in these faiths, you know, why why aren't they speaking up? Why aren't they intervening, you know? And, and so I decided to make this piece because I don't know how to really handle those feelings. They're complicated feelings. I, I, I don't know if you guys interviewed Perv yet, but you know, I remember I was kicking it with Perv and we were on the north side and we got pulled over. They made me get out the car. I'm in the passenger seat, what, you, what I gotta get out for? Threw me on the on the hood or the trunk or whatever, patting me down, all that, grabbing my balls and just dehumanizing me. You know what I mean? And that's that's just one incident, but like my personal experience has shaped my view about the power that police have. I don't think that we give them power. I think that they take it. You know, and there's a fraternity uh, where they protect and insulate each other. And so this is. A peaceful Peace. protest, maybe, you know, because I'm I'm not going to hold a, you know, a picket sign. I'm not going to be standing an, outside. An, iron, an ironic sign. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not going to get <laughs> shot with rubber bullets and pepper gas and all of that. I'm not trying to earn those stripes, bro. I, I already got my stripes. You know what I mean? I'm just going to use my process, you know, of channeling these things like these static and these specific junk emotions into something really beautiful where it can be the centerpiece of a productive conversation, you know, with law enforcement, with people from other backgrounds, with whatever institutions, you know. So that's how I'm addressing the George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor and everyone else, man. You know, I don't want to paint a, li a likeness, you know. That's not the kind of work that I make. That's not the kind of work that I think we need. I think we need work that penetrates institutions at a higher level.
that prompts systematic and intellectual conversations. And, and all, I feel like every artist has a purpose and the folks who are making the reproductions of their likeness, those have a purpose too. And those empower people and those get people just anchored in and, and moving in unison. And my, my approach is, is a little more, um, I would say, nuanced, but but very specific at the same time. Time down and then make the stuff right. Pina Gallery, Gallery. Let's get it. Uh, these rappers conflicted like three friends with two tickets, two honeys, but only one girl's neck. Tells my own draft, mommy. What you sipping? Uh, I'm trying to get it. About to make this paper with some brand new kicks and a crispy taper. Wave spinning, 360s don't end. I just do me and let you follow trends. These dudes are stressed out, popping pills all day. I'm stretched out on the beach in Biscayne Bay. These rappers despise me, cause I be in the lab creating shit to kill them like HIV. I'm on my Michael Jordan, they own their Magic Johnson. Puff the Magic Dragon, get the munchies, now I'm yawning. Don't sleep on me, Sealy Postrapedic. Give me your B, homie, and watch Prosper eat it. Uh, Pac Man with the flow. They say they flip birds, I make them eat crow. Your chick is bum like Shaq with free throws. My chick is hot, she walk past your mic, yeah, heat stroke. Get your weight up, skinny boy, you should eat more. Like your girl when she on her knees, giving me deep throw. Pina Gallery, let's get it. Let's get it. Pina Gallery, let's get it. Let's get it. Victor Stone, I can only hear it in the right side. Let's get it, get it. One of the things that we are consistently and constantly tying this radio show back to is the gallery as a network and as a support system and as a unit and as a community and the value that that has for an artist as an individual. How would you draw a parallel there? You know, my family taught me about family. The gallery, you know, taught me about crew. It taught me about community. When I, when I went to college, I started my own crew, you know, and I started my own crew because I realized very quickly that like you need people to just be them. You don't want a whole bunch of people that are the same. You know, you need diversity. And before I even knew what diversity was really, you know, and a lot of the things that I learned just about recording, about the confidence that came from performing. When I go to these colleges and I'm talking on the stage, when I did the TED Talk, I dropped that shit in one take, bro. And I had a gold grill on when I did it. Like, if you look at the YouTube, the, the TED Talk on YouTube, bro, I went in there like I was doing a rap set. Like, the confidence that I got from being around the people in the gallery. I think that this group of people worldwide has been just invaluable, man. I, it, I can't even put words into how impactful it's been in my life. I mean, I would say that it saved my life, you know? It saved my life. It it gave me purpose. It taught me how to love people who weren't in my family. Like I felt safe. I felt secure. I didn't feel that anywhere else in my life except inside my house and on my block. 
it was beautiful, man, and it is beautiful. And like, it's been an integral part of, of who I've become, seriously. Is there a favorite art piece that you've done or do all of them have equal value to you? I would, I would say they all have equal value in, in terms of the message, but my favorite image is an image I haven't released yet, man. It's called The Cookout. You know, my, my work is about the intersection of uh, race and language, right? So I started with monkeys, right? We created this counter narrative and then I talk about black and I created this counter narrative and now I'm, I'm working with Picnic, right? Picnic is pretty traumatic experience historically for black people. You know, we pick some random nigger, we hang them, we lynch them, we burn them, we eat them, we take their skin and their genitals and we make lamps and we do all kinds of stuff. And we have our kids here and it's a celebration. And then we go out for ice cream after, you know, barbaric as hell. The rebranding of Picnic is like the best rebranding campaign I've ever seen. If you go to Pinterest and you look up Picnic ideas, man, it's the most cute, most romantic thing you might have <laughs> ever thought of. It's like no one seems to remember what used to happen at these things. So I, so I said to myself, okay, counter narratives. What happens if this same thing that happened at a picnic happened at a cookout? And so I got a, a bunch of black people and we lynched uh, a white dude in a public park. We hung him by his neck from a noose. And we hung him for 60 seconds and we photographed it. I didn't shoot video. And he was the only dude that ever got to say the noose was too tight. But again, man, talk about just the compassion of black people, right? We hung this man for 60 seconds. After we took him down, we stood in that spot for 30 minutes. All of us, just everybody was shook. We felt so connected that we couldn't leave. So we decided, let's go have tacos and margaritas. So we went, we had tacos and margaritas, <laughs> everybody. We had experienced a traumatic thing and we bonded through a traumatic experience. And you know, if you Google lynching, there are photographs of black people being hung and burned. There are a thousand clicks. And so what happens if you, you Google that and you see my, my photo? black people smiling and laughing and a white guy being strung up, you know. Uh, the wife said something that really made sense. She said, you know, you never know how deep something cuts until it cuts you. You know, this has been so normalized. Google can can block all of these, these searches and all of these keywords, but they can't block these images. I mean, they're perpetuating the, the trauma and no one seems to care because they 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 think we can handle it. I don't think that anyone understands fatigue as well as us, bro. And that's a, and that's a buzzword that's been thrown around way too much. Zoom fatigue and all that, bro. You don't know what fatigue is. So I'm creating these images where this black traumatic experience it, we share in the equity because we didn't get here by ourselves. It's a team effort. And our teammates ain't really carrying they weight. <laughs> right. I offer a hand and I and I drag them softly through it and you know, I hope that they they pick up some things, you know. I understand that for most of us, we've spoken about race since we were five, six, maybe even younger. Mm -hmm. But for most of them, 
their first conversations about race were after George Floyd. They're in their infancy, and we can't expect infants to be able to converse with PhDs. So we need to give them some grace, and we need to have some patience, and, and they need to know that that's how I think and how I feel, because although I'm making this work, I still believe you know there's a, a positive change that we can accomplish. Maybe not in my lifetime, but I certainly want my work to contribute to whatever the larger change is, you know. It really does give you a lot to think about, especially the part around the news, just that's enough to really, really think about not just the act itself, but just the significance of it, things leading up to it, the fact that this was normalized such a long time ago, no one saw anything wrong with the, the act of, of lynching. And it's like, whoa, this is traumatic. Yeah. And I can imagine that 30 seconds must have felt like a lifetime for the person in the news. I, I can't even imagine. We had some safety precautions in there. Yeah, you know, the first person I asked to do it, he talked to his wife and he came back and he's like, man, you know, I really support what you're doing, but you know, I just, I just can't do it. You know, he's like, you know, I just don't think that it's a good idea. And I'm so sorry, I don't want to let you down. And it's not about letting me down, I respected it, you know. Uh, and, and you know what, honestly, I hadn't even thought about the safety part until he said it. So then I'm like, all right, I got this guy, uh, Danny Gamble, this dude is one of the dopest like artists that is like super underrated for whatever reason, but he's fantastic, man. And um, I reached out to him first to, to talk about the safety piece because he's got specialized training and all the types of equipment and everything you would need. And so when I was talking to him about using his uh, harness to, to do this, I was like, you know what, man? I know this might be an overstep, but like, how would you feel about just like being the dude like, that we're hanging? And he was like, okay. He didn't even have to think about it. Man, the image looks beautiful. I got two images. One is a postcard that I want to mail around the country like they used to do back in the day and one is a is a color photo like, it kind of looks like some Kendrick Lamar album art or something except much more graphic you know what I mean those will go on exhibition in October you know if you're if you guys want to come to Cincinnati or if you ever uh, if you ever had a reason to come this would be it Scribble, right. scrib scribble jam don't exist no more so, <laughs> right you know <laughs> so but yeah man it, that that image more than the rest the cookout is legit bro and you know the icing on the cake is even after all of this police killing and indentured servitude and slavery and, and lynching and all of these things black people by and large still choose to adopt non-violence you know, as a way to address these things. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that that could never be us for real, for real. Mm -hmm. That's a that's an alternate reality that'll that'll never exist, right? Mm -hmm. But it but it's scary as hell to think about. Um, the, the visual artists have a lot more to talk about than the music artists. <laughs> <laughs> Strangely uh, enough. <laughs> Michael, it's been a very informative chat. Thank you ever so much for taking the time out of your day to sit down chop it up with us. Where can people find you on social media? Where can they go to do your art? Michael underscore Kopage, C-O-P-P-A-G-E. 
with my name, my government name. But if you want to find the music, it's Prosper Jones. I'm on every streaming platform imaginable. So it's there. Thanks a lot, man. Yeah, man. Appreciate you. For sure. Peace. Peace. Thanks for checking out today's episode. Really appreciate it. You can find this episode and previous ones on the feed section of the Peanut Gallery website, www.pntg.net, and on selected digital streaming platforms. And until the next time, take care.